Hello and welcome to Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff and I hope you all enjoyed your Anzac Day holiday. Some pretty good games this round and there's probably no better one to start off with than the one we saw today between the Pies and the Dons. Yeah, look, it was it was a reasonable game. I don't think it was the best game that we've ever seen on this day, but it was certainly one of the most hard-fought games, I think. There was uh, a lot of lead changes late in the game. Collingwood probably had the lead for most of the game up until about the third quarter, but it then became a bit of a seesawing affair. A lot of uh, to and fro, but in the end, the Pies just proved that little bit, I guess, too polished, especially when they'd go inside 50. Um, the Bombers definitely had some chances when they did go inside late in the game, but I think that Collingwood were just a little bit more direct in the end and got it to the guys that they needed to get it to. The uh, Brody Meyer check uh, kicked four goals and just as reliable in front of goal as he usually is. Uh, a few midfield goals, guys that you wouldn't usually be used to seeing in the set shot category. <laughs> um, Taylor Adams kicking a, a important goal late. Brody Grundy also kicking a nice set shot late in the game. They answered the challenges and they definitely deserved the win. Now, we come to the player of the game, and he's definitely getting on a few people's nerves at the moment, but he's also getting a lot of attention for his play. I'm talking about Jack Ginevan, of course. He kicked five goals today, five straight, and they were all very good quality goals, I thought. He went around the body, I think, for his first one. He kicked a few very good set shots, including one outside 50 in the third quarter. Where he gave it a bit of a ride. A nice crumbing goal off the pack in the third quarter, I believe. Yeah, he did pretty much everything you'd want from a small forward. And I guess what people uh, are talking about is his behavior on the field. Hey, look, you're going to get these guys. There's guys that just come into the game and they just have that natural cocky confidence I guess and there seems to be uh, one side where people are saying it's great for the game great to see the entertainer back footballers have no personality anymore they're robots so it's nice to it's refreshing to see people like Jack Ginevan come in and entertain as well as play the game they're entertaining I mean we're talking about how we want people to come back to the football after COVID and how the crowds are down Um, how What ways are we going to get people through the gates? Well, I think that this is not a bad one. Having the true entertainers of the game out there, the people that, you know, the common fan likes to go and see play the game. Uh, So you've got that side where you want to see the character, but you've got the other side, and and that side is, does he go overboard? Are the theatrics a little bit too much on the field? Uh, Does he draw unnecessary attention to what is a a young, developing Collingwood side that probably doesn't want to be in the limelight all the time for the wrong reasons, but also the right reasons? They don't want to be pumped up. They just want to do their their thing and just, yeah, get as little attention as possible, maybe. Like I said, there's no right way to go about this but if you've got a guy like Jack Inman who comes into the game a lot of people say 
Oh, he's um, you know, he's he's shush signal to the crowd after he kicked. I think it was his third goal to the to the Bombers fans. His uh, just his, his taunting, his over the top celebrations after he's kicked a big goal. People think it becomes more me than we, or you know, more I than team, or whatever the saying is. Uh, and look, I definitely understand that point of view. But where do you draw the line for something like this? Where? Where, how far is too far for a player to express their personality or have a bit of fun when they're playing the game? Uh, when, What's acceptable and what's not acceptable? I mean, the way I see it is there's always going to be figures in the game that people hate. And, you know, there's players that you just you don't want to do well against you and, you, um, yeah, you just love to hate. But I, I think someone like Jake Inman... Whether he's done things the right way so far or not, uh, I think a lot of people condemned him for the the selfie GoPro thing in round one after they beat the Saints. Uh, maybe that was a bit much and uh, just let the playing do the talking and all that stuff. But whether you like him or not, he's, he's playing some pretty decent footy. <laughs> I mean... He's got 12 goals, I think, in his first nine games. It's not not a bad return. And five goals in the Anzac Day match, well, seems to really relish the big occasion. So I don't really know if there's a whole lot you can complain about other than you just don't like him. And the, if you are that concerned for him and for the Collingwood youngsters that are going to get unnecessary attention and first of all he does seem to me like it's not really a gimmick it's not an act um he genuinely seems just like a, a cocky and confident young man and I actually think he thrives off this I think he thrives off the chaos that comes with it he's uh, some people like to thrive off I wouldn't say drama because I don't want to stereotype someone being a drama queen or whatever but there are some people that just like to thrive off the energy. So he might be one of those guys that thrives off the energy of his fans cheering him, but he might also thrive off the opposition fans booing him. And I think that was typified with his shush signal to the, those Essendon fans. But if he's okay with all of this, then I don't really see what the problem is. Like, if, if he's bringing this all on himself... And he's still able to go out there each week and perform to the best of his ability. Of course, he's not going to play a great game every week. And I'm sure when he doesn't play a good game next, the the knives are going to come out. And there's all the warnings of, well, if you're going to bring all that attention on yourself, you'd, you'd want to play well. I'm sure. Look, if it was me, I probably wouldn't take this route. But there's some people that can. Some people's personalities are different. And I think that it's it's a good thing, ultimately. If he can handle it. It's a good thing, and I am yet to hear a Collingwood teammate of his say that it's a bad thing and that they don't enjoy playing with him. <laughs> I'm not, of course, they're not going to say it, but I haven't heard any uh, anything uh, derogatory towards Skinnerfin when the Pies are doing well and when they're winning games of footy. I think they're probably fairly happy with how it's going, <laughs> but that's just a hunch. So, yeah, interesting game. Uh, pies took the chocolates, and... For the Bombers, where does this leave them? 0-6, not really a way back from there. I think it's going to be a mammoth task now for the Bombers to really salvage anything from this season. 
uh, you know, I'm, I always give teams a lot of rope. I don't like ruling teams out super early, but six rounds in, jeez. That's, uh, you know, that's a fair chunk of the season already. And uh, it's a lot of wins that they need to chalk up on the back end to at least have even a shot of finals. But, you know, you got you got to find something to play for. Yeah, you got to, you got to sort of try some new things out, see what you can you can do to give yourself the best platform to rebound. I do think Essendon could be one of those teams where they take a step back this year and could be something absolutely incredible next year with a few changes. But yeah, it's way too early to start talking about things like that. And I think it's just one of those moments in the season where you just still have to believe a bit. You have to just. Try and get wins. You, you can't, at this point, not be thinking about winning games of footy. I mean, you can start doing that maybe past the halfway mark of the season. But I just think at this point, you've just got to go full ball. You've got to just get out there and give them what you've got. The Dons are playing the Bulldogs next week, I think, at Marvel. I see no reason for Essendon to not give that everything that they've got and just try and get themselves a win, get themselves on the board, give their fans something to cheer about. Uh, let the chips fall where they may. You get late into the season and it's mathematically not possible, then you start talking about those next year conversations. But really, the, the Bombers owe it to their fans right now to get out there and keep putting in. Just Yeah, just keep putting in. Their performance this week was much better than last week. I will give them that. The tackling pressure was a lot better than last week against the Dockers. Uh, but we really want to see a lot more of that week in, week out. They've got a lot of players back now. I think Zach Merritt was was okay today. Uh, Jake Stringer just showed exactly what he means to that team. It, it's a He's a huge barometer. I don't think there's a player in the league more important to their team's chances of winning a football game right now in all honesty. So, yeah, I think with those guys healthy, you see a much more balanced Essendon midfield. And you should see a few wins come, I would say. But, I don't know, only time will tell. Uh, They definitely need a solution up forward because Alec Waterman's not going to kick four goals every single week. He was fantastic today, but he's not going to. Peter Wright, look, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's not a bad set shot. But something that really frustrated me about him today was he goes, he contests for marks a lot one-handed. And I know he's a big guy and it's hard to get those limbs around, but I saw at least six or seven occasions where he'd be one-on-one with his defender and he was just only putting one arm up. I, I, I just don't think you can do that as a key forward. So, yeah, a little disappointing there. But... We'll see. We'll see what will happen with the Dons going forward. There's a team that I think people need to, if they haven't already, they need to start taking notice of, and that's the Fremantle Dockers. I think they're the real deal. They remind me a lot of Richmond in the heyday or just as they were coming up. And honestly... When I look at this back six, this could easily be the best back six going around at the moment. You know, you've got Alex Pierce, who's just a, a stud. You've got Luke Ryan, who's an All-Australian player. 
Uh, you've got Cox, who's very serviceable. And then you've got Young and Chapman, who are very, very good youngsters. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons with Melbourne as well, but this is a back six that rivals Melbourne's in my point of view. I think that they have made some some very competent forward lines look very, very ordinary so far this season. Um, Harry Mackay couldn't get near it on Saturday night. Charlie Kuno, he competed hard, but I think he ended up with two goals. And yeah, this is a this is a reasonable forward line from the Blues, and they were kept to sixty two points, I believe. So yeah, it does remind me as well a little bit of the old Ross Lyon back six when they made the grand final. Just like a suffocating back line. They just don't give you any space at all. And they are very, very relentless. So that's always a good starting point. We always talk about to, you know, to win a premiership, you need a very good defense. I mean, everyone says it. I mean, they've been saying it you know, back in the times of Malcolm Blight's coaching. He was saying it. So it's not rocket science. But you do need to have a good one. You need to have a cohesive unit back there as well. Look. There's a lot of zone defenses being played at the moment, and it's all about handovers and working as a team. We're not seeing a lot of one-on-one defending, obviously, but you need to have a good unit. You must have a unit you can trust, and I would put a lot of trust in that back six at the moment, probably up against any team at the moment. The middle is reasonable and getting better, developing. You know, we've already spoken a lot about Andrew Brayshaw, um... Calps are wrong. Will Brody's just settled into this team <laughs> overnight, really. Sean Darcy, rucking for the future. You got Michael Walters running through there for experience. It's uh, a very well balanced midfield. And sorry, don't forget David Mundy as well. <laughs> he comes in for his experience. And yeah, just a very balanced midfield. Blake Akers has been playing well too. And jeez, I love that goal that he kicked. I was looking back towards the goal square because I thought he was sort of hoiking it back to the to that area, but then saw the crowd cheering. It was a fantastic goal. Um, yeah, magnificent. Um, and I haven't even talked about Freo's forward line yet. This, this is a, a, I really think this forward line is going to give a lot of teams problems this year. Matt Tabiner, seven goals last week. Only kicked the one this week, but this is the beauty of having a good forward line. He can have an off day. Because you know what else happens? Rory Lobb steps up this week and kicks three goals. You have Lockie Schultz, who I think is a very natural goal sneak. He's, I was talking about Swagger before. He 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 looks like a, just a natural goal sneak forward. He's got a little bit of... I really feel like he's got just a bit of the... Without the, without the persona, he just reminded me a little bit of Hayden Ballantyne, the way he was sort of moving around and um, taking those set shots that he had, but... Yeah, he's, he's a natural. He's a goal sneak. He played a very good game. And, yeah, I think that they've got guys who pinch it in. Travis Collier, uh, Suskowski, and, um, oh, sorry, did I mention they've got Nat Five to come back? Yeah, he's a pretty handy player. Just a couple of Brandley medals. Um, yeah, look, I think that this is a team that if they get their head up of steam... They could probably go anywhere. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the second half of the season. We'll see what happens with injuries. But I really think that there's a lot to like about this team right now. And it's the perfect example of a rebuild done well. Justin Longmuir deserves a lot of credit. And I'm very interested to see where they can go. Uh, quickly on the Blues. 
yeah, look, it probably wasn't their best night. They couldn't get it much out of their forwards. Uh, it kind of looked like at one point that Paddy Cripps was really their only ever new to goal, which is, yeah, very strange, obviously. But maybe not, maybe not, because uh, we used to see that happen quite a bit with Paddy Cripps carrying the team on his back. And look, this is a much different team to those teams. Uh, I, I saw Carlton and... You know, it's easy to judge teams at their best and say how good they are. As obviously, we just looked at Frio and they've been playing some great footy. But sometimes I like to pay attention to teams when they're not having a great day. You know, not at their worst, but when they're a fair bit off what they're capable of. And you know, I was looking at Carlton on Saturday and I don't know, sometimes there's just those feelings that when you see a team that's not bound for finals, but they're maybe a regular finals team, let's... Let's pick one right now. Let's say, uh, I don't know, uh, a Geelong or something. You can tell that when Geelong's not played their best game and lost, you can usually tell that <laughs> if you hadn't watched much football in the last few years, you could see that that was a team that can do much better. I just got that little bit of a feeling about Carlton. I know there's still some pretty big deficiencies with them, especially the defensive structures and they're, and they're running. Can it hold up over the course of a season? Uh, they do score a lot from stoppages. And with that, um, Pitonet, they really struggled in that area. But I don't know. I think that they've got the nucleus. And honestly, I looked at that game and I, I expect both of those teams to play finals. That's just what I thought. So, yeah. Let's just quickly touch on one player here. Uh, Port Adelaide finally got off the mark and they beat the West Coast Eagles, as I think most people expected. But there's one player who was a massive part of it, and that was Connor Rosie. So Rosie's played, I think, the last two weeks in the midfield. And it's my unprofessional and amateur opinion that he needs to stay there. So... (laughs) He had 32 touches, 8 clearances, 7 marks, 5 tackles, couple of assists. As a general football fan, just message to Port Adelaide, please keep Connor Rosie in the midfield. <laughs> There's nothing more to say. He could easily be that Isaac Heaney or Patrick Dangerfield type, just someone who can be that midfield forward link and just do some serious damage. The guy's got a real kick on him. And yeah, he can... He can be that guy. He's played, the. to be fair, he has played the last few weeks without serious attention in the midfield. So teams are going to start paying attention to him. But so what? Just let him get that attention. Let him get a tag. Let him get a chance to work through those challenges because he will be better for it in years to come. Just, yeah, give him the keys. Honestly, like we keep talking about this every week that there's no real leaders in the midfield other than Wines or Boak. Well, look, give guys a chance to become that guy. That's what I'm saying. I think if it was Ken Hinckley, I'd definitely give him an extended period in the middle. There's going to be challenges. It's not going to be easy. There's nothing very easy about AFL footy. So just give him that chance. You know, he's got a lot of good attributes. His accelerations out of a contest is fantastic. So I say keep him in there for a few weeks and see how it goes. As so often happens in any footy game, you quite often find one team performs very well and as well as that team performed, the opposition performs poorly. That seems to be how a lot of games go. 
whether it's tactical and not allowing the opposition to play well with negating tactics, whatever it is. There's rarely games where both teams are playing at their absolute best. When they do, they're fantastic to watch, but uh, very rarely does this happen. And in Ballarat, I think this was certainly the case. I think that we saw an Adelaide Crows team that is well ahead of schedule in their rebuild. I still obviously wouldn't have them making the eight this year, but they're just slowly going about their business, building a nice spine, got some kind of backline happening when a lot of people at the start of the year thought that that was going to be a a real suspect area for them and that uh, Jordan Dawson was probably going to have to spend time down there, the new recruit. But no, it's not like that at all. Uh, they're definitely going about their business and you know, it's come a long way from a team that I think Kane Corns said at the start of last year, this could be a team that goes through 22 games without a win. <laughs> Look, I, he's definitely admitted that that's not the case now. But uh, yeah, like Matthew Nixon Co. doing a very, very good job and it ch- it's about chasing the process. And you have to enjoy these wins along the way as well. Little shout out to Billy Frampton. I mean, he had 26 disposals playing as a defender. This guy has played most of his career as a ruckman forward. So you need these kinds of stories as well in a rebuild. It's not always about getting high draft picks or bringing free agents in. You sometimes need to reinvent a player and fill a need. And I think Billy Frampton's done quite well. He's working well alongside Duday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's these stories that can propel a footy club to the next level. There was also a lot of good work from Chase Jones, who played a massive role in keeping Cody Waitman goalless. I mean, Cody was coming off a five-goal haul last week, and it was always going to be a handful. But well done to Jones. And look, a couple of others helped out there, but he was the one I noticed the most. So good job, Chase. But as good as the Crows were, obviously, the Bulldogs, this, is, this was a big, big loss for the Dogs. A very, very big loss for the Dogs. I had penciled this one in as that them getting the job done and getting back to three wins and three losses. A nice platform after everything that's gone on. And just a platform for them to go on to bigger and better things again. Like almost a little reset for the season. But this is just... I honestly think this is the most disappointing result of the round. I think that you've... We've really laid into teams like Port Adelaide and Essendon so far this year, but so far, the Doggies are just, they're just lacking something. They're just lacking something, and they're not that team that was absolutely terrifying opposition with their running, their ground ball game, their quick movement, their forwards who are just so dangerous whenever that ball hit the deck. It's just been disappointing thus far for the dogs but despite all of that they did have a chance they did have a chance to pinch this one and get the w uh, it was scores were level or adelaide i think were up by a point and caleb daniel was taking the kick in <sighs> what happened next i really don't know <laughs> i don't know what he was doing for a player of that caliber usually as reliable a kick that you could ever wish to have in your team. I don't know if this is what he was doing, but he looked like he sort of was faking the long down the middle kick and 
you know, tried to at the last minute kick around the corner to get to Jeray in the pocket. And I just don't know. With the, I think there was about two minutes left, a minute left. I just don't know why you would take that kick. Why would you kick to the pocket when you really need to just roll the dice and get it up the middle as you know as, as quickly as possible? I just don't. Uh, I just don't really know what he was thinking. And he caught Taylor Jeray by surprise, and he was caught flat-footed. And uh, yeah, Lucky Gollant got that mark and then chipped it to Taylor Walker. Who? And that's game, Hendricks. Huge win for the Crows. And while we're on Taylor Walker. Um, yeah, the guy has kicked, I think, 12 goals in the last three games. Not a bad return. Uh, we know that he started the 2021 season in this kind of form, and he's looking exactly the same. Kicking beautifully, leading well, moving beautifully as always. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty good player to have. But for the Dogs, I mean, just a heartbreaking loss. It's the kind of game as a fan that you're just really hoping you can chalk up the win and keep going and get back on track. I mean, if they could have gotten back to three wins and three losses, anything's possible. But that one's that's a tough pill to swallow for the Dogs fans. I know quite a few Dogs fans who I reckon would be pretty frustrated with that result. And yeah, as a fan, it's definitely a hard one to take. And it just doesn't seem to be a happy time at the club at the moment. Uh, with the Lockie Hunter situation, obviously. Hopefully he's doing all right and can be out back out playing again soon. Wish him all the best. Uh, obviously, uh, Luke Beveridge and uh, after round one, the situation in the press conference. It just doesn't seem to be a happy club at the moment. And they need to get that stuff right. They need to get pulling in the right direction again. I still think that they can do a lot of damage this year, but they need to get some of these wins on the board, get some wins in a row. They've got the Bombers next week, make a big statement. I still think they've got a massive part to play in this season. Here at Footy Time, we like to stay out of the current affairs and the issues surrounding the game of AFL football. We like to keep it mainly to... The actual game being played and the game plans and the statistics and the analysis and, you know, the psychology teams take when they come out to play on game day and the star attractions being the players and the coaches, obviously. But I think this is an important issue. Who do you think should be the next CEO of the AFL? We'll quickly run through the candidates. You probably all know who they all are. But the names being mentioned are obviously Brendan Gale, the current Richmond CEO, Travis Old from the AFL, uh, Kylie Rogers. We've got names like uh, Kylie Watson-Wheeler, the Western Bulldogs president, and Christine Holgate, the Collingwood board member, Andrew Dillon from the AFL, and then there's your novelty choices that you'll probably find in the 350 to 1 section on Sportsbet, like Eddie Maguire. And various others. To start off with, I'm just going to explain my rationale if I was choosing an AFL CEO. So I think it's pretty obvious that this is a very, very difficult job. I would say that this has to be the hardest sporting CEO job in this country, uh, especially when you look at the past CEOs and how much blowback they got from the public and, you know, they never could seem to do anything that would please the whole footy public. I mean, they get looked at in some ways like they've 
like prime ministers and they can't please everyone there's always going to be certain sections that that have a, a gripe with things that they've done and or not done but i think this is a very difficult role the other thing i'll say is i think that in order to take on this role you need to have a lot of experience in this game whether it's working at club level or working at administration level we've seen in recent times usually the successor comes from within the AFL's ranks. And I think that's really, really important. I think you need to have a lot of experience in the game of football. I don't believe that you can come as a fly-in from another code. I don't think you get a situation where it's a bit like NRL or the A-League where you can have like a Ben Buckley or a David Gallup just sort of transition across and head up another code. I don't think you can... I don't think that can happen with AFL. I don't think you can just sort of be a yeah a fly-in CEO. The other thing I'm not so sure about is hiring a CEO that doesn't have a background in the AFL, as I mentioned before, but they are hired purely on their business credentials, their marketing backgrounds, their ability to boost, uh, I guess, customers or, or viewers or whatever. Like, I think that's a big no-no as well. I think if you bring someone in, they have to understand the game. And there's a lot of us that understand the game. We think we understand the game. And there's a lot of big football fans in business. But that doesn't mean that they've worked in or understand how the whole thing works. So I would have absolutely no chance of even beginning to understand how things run. I think that a pure business background CEO just isn't the way to go. And I think they'd get found out quite quickly. So I'm going to run through these candidates. And please, I don't want this to come across as as sexism or anything. But this is just my point of view as, I guess, someone who's followed the game for a while. So I look at this suggestion of Kylie Watson-Wheeler. Absolutely sensational background as the CEO of Disney Australia. And experience of Coca-Cola, Hallmark. Some excellent business acumen there, but I just don't quite understand why she would go straight to contention. Yes, she's been the Bulldogs president since 2001, uh, but uh, and she has been on the board for a while. So, look, she's probably a bit better suited than others, but this would appear to me as the making a splash choice, making a, a statement. We're choosing a woman. We're choosing a... Someone not from the AFL, we're going in a completely different direction, we're going to get some fresh ideas. I just think that's a little bit too radical in a time that the AFL really needs some stability as well. So that would be a no for me. Uh, We move on to Brennan Gale. I would be very, very happy to see Brennan Gale uh, chosen as the next AFL CEO. I think we need, it would be really nice to see someone from Clubland. And Brennan Gale's got some great experience in a wide range of roles to do with the AFL. He was the chief executive of the AFL Players Association. He did come to the Richmond Football Club and they were not looking good. They were in a lot of debt. They were, I think it was maybe $5 million. He's turned that club around. We all remember the famous uh, footy classified interview where he said they were going to win three premierships in the next decade or whatever it was. And they did it. And you've got to be bold. And you're seeing a lot of clubs do that now. But, the point is that this is a guy who understands club level. He was a player, he's had different roles, and he knows what it takes to build a good, a good successful club with membership. I think he's almost perfect, but I think one thing that would hold him back is 
I just feel with the AFL commission the way it is, I don't I never get the feeling like they want someone from Clubland. I always get the feeling that they want to groom someone from within the AFL ranks. And I just think that will work against Brendan Gale. But I would love to see Gale in this role. The next person that I would come to, who I also think would be, I guess, joint favourite with Brendan Gale, is Travis Old. So, you know, Travis Old's a name that I guess a lot of football fans, especially over the last two years, you would vaguely know the name because he did a lot of work with the footy fixturing, especially in 2020, to make that all work. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of probably fancy Excel spreadsheets with different formulas and if X equals Y, this and then this happens. Well, all of that was masterminded by Travis Holt, and he has really come through that period with a big feather in his cap. I think that he would be the safe option. Uh, he's been involved in the game since, I think, 1997. I think he spent a bit of time at Essendon. Not a CEO, but in maybe like a CFO role, something like that. He's also spent a bit of time in business at William Buck, which is, a, I think, a consulting firm. He's, you know, obviously understands how to balance books and things like that. Uh, But I think he has done... He's done the hard yards, and he's spent a long, long time in the AFL. And I reckon if I was putting my money on it, I think Travis Old would be the next CEO of the AFL. On to the next candidate, Kylie Rogers. Now, I really like this one because I think if you're looking to make a statement, and I don't like talking too much in terms of gender, but if you want a woman as the next CEO of the AFL, I think Kylie Rogers is the one to go for. Um. I can't tell you what her title is at the AFL, but it's one of those typical ones where it's like, I don't know, general manager of customer and commercial experiences and whatever. Uh, But uh, She has got 25 years experience in the media landscape. Uh, She spent a lot of time at Channel 10. She also spent some time on the website Mamma Mia and has been with the AFL for about five years, 2017. The Big, big, big feather in Kylie Rogers' cap is the deal to name the Dockland Stadium Marvel Stadium. This deal came in at $70 million, and I think so far it's been a big success. It's a place that you know kids love going to now, and it wasn't just a boring old name, and you've got a real experience now when you go to, to Dockland's you know, we haven't been to a lot of footy in the last few years, so the jury might still be out on some people. But it's a it's a fun place to go, fun for the family. Uh, really, sort of turning that precinct into a, just a family friendly precinct. And yeah, I think she's a risk taker, a calculated risk taker. Uh, very good at you know revenue building and uh, considerate of the community. And yeah, I think I think if you're going for a, a statement choice, I would be. I certainly wouldn't complain if Kylie Rogers was selected as the new CEO. And then you've got Andrew Dillon. I think a lot of people would, a lot like Travis Old, I think a lot of people would know his name, but not know exactly what he does. But he's been the AFL's legal chief, and he's been at the AFL since 2000. And he's very highly regarded in the league. Uh, I can't rattle off all his achievements and uh Resume, but uh, yeah, I think he's the general manager of operations or something like that. But 
you know, his name's in the mix. But yeah, look, those are the key ones. You could see another left field move. But like I said before, I just think ones like Kylie Watson Wheeler and Christine Holgate, I just don't think that these are going to bring that much benefit. I think you need someone who knows the game inside out. They know the happenings and everything that all the challenges that they've been through. Um, you know, much like the way that Gillian McLaughlin came into the job in the first place, it kind of helps to have someone who is groomed in that role and was, and that's what they need right now. They need some people to work alongside Gillen and take on some of his uh, tasks and just, yeah, if it comes from within the AFL, it becomes a smooth transition. But I definitely think that it should come from within the AFL. And if it's not from within the AFL, then I think Brendan Gale's the man. So, yeah, who do you think it should be? Let us know. Footytime22 at gmail.com. And if there's any people who know business a little bit better than I do, I'm very keen to hear from you. Are the Tigers done? Not sure. But are they going to challenge in 2022? I have to say no. They could still sneak in for a final spot, but this team is looking a lot like a team that needs to take just a quick step back to go forward. I think their list is in reasonable shape, but I just think there's a disconnect between the players that are coming through, which there are some good ones, but they're just not quite ready yet, and the Stars in their twilight whose best footy is probably behind them. Don't get me wrong, they had some reasonable moments last night. They actually took their chances, and while an inaccurate Melbourne was wayward in front of goal, the Tigers did make the most of their opportunities and essentially made it a game. But did this mask a lot of the weaknesses of the Tigers at the moment? I'm very reluctant to put a line through them just yet because we don't know what's happening in certain uh, areas. I mean, they, they are missing probably their best defender, Dylan Grimes, Dustin Martin's just returned to training, but who knows what's happening there. They definitely need him. There's no doubt about that. But I saw a lot in this game that really suggested that the gap could have been bigger than what it was. Uh, make no mistake, the Tigers were in it for quite a long time, and they definitely could have caused an upset. If there was a time to beat Melbourne, it was definitely last night. But... Melbourne were leading pretty much every major statistic, contested ball, uncontested ball. They were working very hard around the ground. Ed Langton was running his opponents ragged. Uh, the pressure inside 50 was great. The only thing Melbourne wasn't doing was putting the ball through the big six. That was the only thing. They were clearly the better side on the night, even though the Tigers had a chance to pinch it. But... I saw a lot of moments in this game where guys like Cochin and Graham were just running after players like Clayton Oliver. They spent a lot of time just running after the opposition, and that's a hard, hard game to play if you're doing a lot of running without the ball. They just don't have that mix in the middle that they once had. Uh, I think, yeah, those guys like Graham and Cochin just don't have the speed. I think guys like um, Shy Bolton are much more attacking players. They do a lot of damage going forward, but maybe not the most defensive runner that they have in their side. And, yeah, I just think Clayton Oliver and Co. just ran rings around them in the end. Uh, it's very hard, very hard to compete when, when that's happening. The other thing I noticed about the Tigers is in the past... 
you saw a Richmond team that just never, ever fumbled the footy. They were so clean and they made you play clean. The only way to beat Richmond was if you could play almost perfect footy. No fumbles at all. Well, you know, I saw a lot of two grabbing and, you know, just not clean handballs and just not gathering the ball properly. They were honestly the epitome of what they used to make teams look like. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that they were bad. Like I said, I think they had a very, very good chance to win this game at one point. Um, this is one of the great equalisers uh, in AFL footy. No matter how good a team is, if they don't turn up with the kicking boots on and they don't make the most of their opportunities, usually they don't win. It doesn't matter. I mean, you always look at a sport like soccer and no matter how many world-class players you've got on one side, there's always that chance that the opposition can nick a goal and snatch a 1-0 win over you. It's, yeah, one of the beauties of that sport. Well, I think AFL footy, this is that version. If you're inaccurate and you turn up to get, if you're the best team that's ever played the game and you turn up and kick nine goals, 22, well, you've just given whatever opposition you have that day a massive chance to win. If I told you, if you didn't see the game and I told you that Melbourne kicked nine goals, 22, I reckon you would have thought that there was every chance that they were beaten. Not the case. Not the case. They they prevailed by 22 points. Now, there's only one way that this can happen. In all the games that I have watched, this is usually where a side gets done. But if you want to you want to win a game where you've kicked 22 behinds and you've not even kicked 10 goals, the only way to go on and win the game is with extreme work rate and running and pressure and pressure on the ball carrier, tackling pressure. Melbourne brought all of that. They had all of that in spades. They never stopped. They made it almost impossible for Richmond to exit their defensive 50. And they did it on the back of the regular suspects, the guys who just put in good shifts, guys like Cosie Pickett, Alex Neil Bullen, really good um, pressure acts. And just making things very difficult. They set up their defensive structures very well. Stephen May played a very good game again. And that's another thing. Before this season, if you told me that Melbourne would be without four of their premiership defenders in Jake Lever, Christian Salem, Michael Hibbard, and Adam Tomlinson didn't play in the grand final, but you know, he, was, he played a big part in the season until he got injured. I would have said that's too many. I would have said that's really going to set Melbourne back into the pack. No, not at all. Uh, it, and why does this happen? Well, we've talked about system, but I think we can't just lean on the system line. I think we need to pay a bit of attention to Melbourne's depth. It's actually come through. Harrison Petty just came back. I think this is his second or third game back. He was fantastic. You know, you got... Guys like Tomlinson, who went anything back in. Joel Smith played. I think he might have picked up an injury, but, you know, he, he gives his all. Uh, you just got guys who know what's expected. They come in and they do their role, and it's fantastic. It's a very, very good time to be a Melbourne fan. So, yeah, going to enjoy it. Let's take a quick look at the AFL ladder. So, Melbourne are obviously on top, the only undefeated team with six wins. You got Freo in second, five and one. Brisbane with another good win over the Suns. 
Sydney at fourth, St Kilda fifth. Jeez, God, like five and one doesn't seem to be taking you too far at the moment. For St Kilda in fifth, Geelong sixth, Carlton seventh, Collingwood into the eight with their win today. And the bottom eight as follows, Hawthorne, Adelaide, Bulldogs, Richmond, Suns, Power, Giants, Bombers, Eagles, and in last place is North Melbourne. So the ladder does sort of start to take shape at this part of the year. It's going to be very hard to see Melbourne and Brisbane being displaced from the eight at the moment. I think things could move around a bit. And look, I would expect Geelong to get better as well and push for top four, but it's pretty interesting. I think there's anything that could happen there, and there's obviously teams outside the eight that will be making their case too. I think there will be a lot of changes from here on out. A quick look at the games next week. So on Friday night, we've got West Coast taking on Richmond at Opta Stadium. We've got Geelong against the Dockers. That's probably the pick of the round, I'd say. That's a GMHBA stadium. Adelaide versus the Giants. Uh, I think the Adelaide will start favourites in that. you got Melbourne and Hawthorne in a twilight game at the MCG. St Kilda in the power at Kazali Stadium in Queensland. And then on the Sunday... Sorry, there's also Carlton and North at Marvel on Saturday night. And on the Sunday, we've got Collingwood Suns, the Bulldogs and Essendon, and the Swans versus the Lions. I actually think that might be the game of the round. Uh, that would definitely be the one I'm most looking forward to seeing. But, um, yeah, I think we'll see the eight take even more shape, but only time will tell. Well, that's all we've got time for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed your Anzac Day and long weekend. We'll catch you again next week for more footy time. Bye for now.